pastor now, but when he was a youth pastor, he took his youth group, a small amount of kids, on a rafting trip. And uh, it was on a, just one of those lazy rivers on a nice, hot, sunny August afternoon. A bunch of kids in a boat. And he's leading this little expedition. And they're going along and, and just having a really great time, jumping in the river, swimming, rafting, talking. And then they came to this point in the river where they came around the bend and there was a cable going across the river from hooked on each side. But it sank down into the river in the middle. And so as they're approaching this cable, they thought, well, should we go over the cable or should we go under the cable? But they decided to go under because there might be something there that would catch the bottom of the boat. They were afraid that the boat would sink. And so they go underneath the cable. And as they're going under, the youth pastor, he had a great idea. I'm going to grab this cable and that'll be fun. I'll kind of pull on that and pull this in the water. So he jumps up, grabs the cable, pulls on it. And what happens is the cable comes out of the water in the middle. And as it pulls up out of the water, there's a little aluminum sign attached to the bottom of that cable that says, point of no return, waterfall ahead. And then he panics. <laughs> the thing about it was the whole, whole time on the trip, all along the way, there have been these people on the, on the banks of the river, on either side, that occasionally would yell at them, yell out, but they could never figure out what they were saying. But person after person, yelling, so it dawns on him what all these people have been yelling at them about. There is a waterfall, dummy. And so he packs, and he screams at all the kids, and they're all paddling like crazy, and they barely make it to the side of the river. Now they were on the wrong side, and ended up having to walk six miles <laughs> to get back to a bridge to cross the river. And he told me, he said, I'll never forget that as long as he lives. That that day could have been the last day of his life, and those students if you're old enough to remember back, way back when there were only three TV channels, remember that, you don't have to acknowledge that, but uh, there used to be only three, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And you remember the Sunday night movie, every Sunday night, well, that was a family event for us, we'd get together, half of you don't even know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Anyway, we had this thing called the Sunday night movie. And the big movie was The Wizard of Oz. And I used to love when The Wizard of Oz would come out. It used to be in black and white. And you remember when it switched to color? How awesome that was. Remember that? That was just amazing. We first got our color TV. And uh, that was, wow, all those beautiful colors of the munchkins. I just loved The Wizard of Oz. And, and I would, I would, when The Witch came out, I would just go nuts. I mean, it would go and hide by my mom and scream in fear because she was just terrifying this evil witch. <laughs> but today I want to talk to you about a principle that applies directly to those two concepts. This principle, the people that understand it, the people that leverage this principle, are people that achieve everything in life they dream to achieve. It's the difference between those who succeed and those who fail. It's the difference between those who have and those who have not. It is 
life-altering, life-changing. You could say it's perhaps one of the most important principles in life. By definition, the word principle means a fundamental, primary, or general truth from which others are derived. Other truths come from this truth. So it's a fundamental, primary truth. You probably studied about Archimedes in high school. Remember Archimedes, right? And the Archimedes principle, which is the principle of buoyancy. And he didn't discover buoyancy. I mean, buoyancy always has been, but he was the first person to understand it and then write about the principle of buoyancy. And so basically what it means is, is a five-ounce pebble thrown into the water sinks to the bottom, but a 51-ton battleship floats. How is that? Well, it's because of this mathematical principle of buoyancy, that if you leverage buoyancy, it doesn't matter how heavy it is, it will float. If you don't leverage it, you will sink every time. Another law, how about gravity, this principle of gravity, right? Let's discover that gravity is an effect on the earth, it's a principle. There's a difference between a principle and a law, right? Because laws can be broken, principles cannot. So if you jump off of a cliff, guess what? The principle of gravity kicks in. And it's no respecter of persons. So let's say you didn't know there was a cliff. Do you float in midair because you didn't know? How about if you intended to jump across but didn't make it? Do you hover? You make it anyway? How about if you're really thin? Or you're really beautiful? Beautiful people can skip this now. It doesn't matter if you're fat or skinny or rich or poor or dumb or smart. It doesn't matter. The principle applies across the board and it's no respect for persons. You know the Bible talks about some of these principles? One is the principle of the harvest. You heard about this one? You can find it in the book of Galatians. It talks about reaping and sowing. It says basically simply this. The principle of the harvest is that whatever you plant or whatever you sow is exactly what you're going to get. So let's say a person wants to plant an apple tree. And so they take apples, they plant them in the ground, and they cultivate it, they take care of it. Does a banana tree grow? No, what do you get? You get what you plant. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, what if you intended to plant uh, wheat, but the package was mislabeled and you ended up planting corn? <laughs> Just because you intended to plant wheat, does it somehow become corn? No, it doesn't. So it doesn't matter if you're ignorant and you don't know. It doesn't matter if you had good intentions. You know, people say to me all, all the time, I'm a good person. I think that I'll be fine if I'm just a good person. If I do good things, everything will work out. But that's not how it works. That's not how the principle works. You see, 
Where does the yellow brick road lead you? It leads you to Oz every time. Every single time. If you are on the path, if you're on the yellow brick road, it takes you to Oz. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you want to go or where you intend to go or you tend to be. If you're on that path, that's where it leads. If you get on 405 and you head south, are you going to end up in Bellingham? No. No. What if you think you're going to Bellingham? Are you going to end up in Bellingham? What if you read the map wrong? What if all of your friends who you trust and love said that is the direction you go? Will you end up in Bellingham? No. You will end up in Olympia, probably. The opposite direction. So the principle works like this. And this is what I'm going to call it. It's called the principle of the path. It's a spiritual principle. And just knowing it isn't enough. You have to leverage this principle in your life. The principle of the path. And it simply means this. That direction determines destiny. Would you say that with me? Direction determines destiny. Not your goals. Not your hopes. Not your dreams. Not your plans. Not your prayers. But the direction that you're going determines your outcome. It's the principle of the path. It means simply this. Good intentions will not get you where you want to be. I don't believe that on Wednesday or Monday or Tuesday or sometime last week, Charlie Sheen woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to pursue pleasure and joy and happiness and fulfillment today by going to rehab, humiliating myself, losing money, facing lawsuits, and facing jail time. Those were not his intentions, were they? His intentions were otherwise. He was looking for happiness. But the problem is, he wasn't on that path. He was on a different path. He was on a path that leads only to death. And that's where he ended up. You see, it's the direction that you're going that determines the destiny. And people all the time, they say to me, why did God let this happen to me? Or they'll even go further and blame God fully and say, God has done this to me. If God is loving, if He is good, if He is kind, if He is all-powerful, He could have stopped this destruction in my life. But that isn't how the principle works. You see, that's the path you're on. It doesn't lead somewhere else. It leads where you're going. You're on that path. And in fact, if you think about it, if you look back, God was warning you all along the way. He was on the bank of the river shouting, Hey, watch out! There's a waterfall! You didn't listen. Didn't pay attention. Didn't look at the warning signs. And people reap 
destruction all the time. Horrible things because of the path that they're on. I want to illustrate this for you in Scripture. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. And if you don't have one, there are some underneath the chairs in front of you. And uh, in that little blue, light blue Bible, turn to page 379. If you have your own, of course, I have no idea what the page number is. Proverbs chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. Give me a second to find it. Page 379. On the back of your program, there's a little section there for taking notes if you're interested. I think that if you'll listen to me today for just a few more minutes, if you'll listen to me today, and just take some simple, small steps to leverage this principle, you will radically change your life. You will radically change your life. So here is Solomon, who was perhaps the wisest man who has ever lived. Experienced everything. As far as experience goes, he has experienced more than all of us combined. Alright? And God gave him amazing wisdom. So he's writing about his wisdom. And one day, he's in the palace... And he's leaning against the windowsill, looking out the window, and observes a person on a path. He writes about it here, verse 6. While I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young man, and one in particular, who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening, and deep darkness fell. The woman approached him seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. And that one needs a little bit of explaining. She was saying that I've gone to the temple and I've said all my Hail Marys and I've been absolved so I can go and fill up my soul full of wickedness again. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink and fill ourselves with love until morning, each enjoying the other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. And then the story changes. What? He followed her into the nightclub and they danced the night away in bliss and joy. They enjoyed each other and they 
went into the night in love, woke in the morning with a kiss without even brushing their teeth. <laughs> and oh, what a beautiful picture it is. Right? Isn't that what we always see? We see that all the time, all the time, every day. And that's how love works, right? That's how romance works. I mean, if you just feel it, you go and you find your love and you can enjoy it all night long. But Solomon interrupts the story and he says, No! Like an ox going to slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap. Any hunters in the room? Awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, like knowing it would cost him his life. Little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my son, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down the wayward path. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. What Solomon is doing for us is he's basically laying out the whole path from beginning to end. He's allowing us to see the whole picture. Perhaps God's perspective. You know, we start out on a particular path, and it is fun. It is great. It is enjoyable. And we say all kinds of lies to ourselves like, it's no big deal. You know, I'll get off this road later. I'll change later. I'll deal with it later. There's time. But Solomon says, no, once you start down that path, if you don't make a course change, guess where it ends? Death. you got to see that. you got to make a connection between the path you're on and where it'll take you. Yeah. Don't make that mistake. See beyond. See the future. See where this thing is leading. See where it's going to take you. A single woman says, I want to marry a man who's a Christian man and will treat me right. And then she goes off and she dates anyone who's cute. <clears throat> a single guy says, I want a great sex life when I'm married. And I want my wife to satisfy me. And then he goes off and he has sex with everyone he meets. A married woman says, I want a great marriage to my husband where he'll love me and cherish me. And then she spends her life making the kids and the home. A priority over her husband. A husband say, I want my kids to love me and respect me and honor me when I'm in my old age. And then when he's in the neighborhood, he openly flirts with other women. <coughs> New Christian says, I want to develop a deep relationship with God where there's intimacy with me and Christ. And then every morning wakes up and spends an hour on Facebook. A man says, I want to grow old and spend my latter years with my grandchildren, but then ignores his health. 
A loving couple says, we want our children to grow up and love God and serve God and choose right friends. And then every Sunday that rolls around, they head for the ocean. Newlyweds say, we're determined to live in financial security and have all of our needs met. And then they run up credit cards and get into debt and spend beyond their means. High school freshman says, I want to go to a great college and have a good GPA and get a great job, and then ignores their homework for computer games and Xbox. You get the point here? We all have good intentions. Nobody sits down and says, guess what? Today, I'm going to ruin my life. You ever wonder why... <laughs> You ever wonder why great men of God throw away their life in a weekend of thrills? Has that ever puzzled you? Do you ever say, why do they do that? We just had one just a couple of weeks ago. I can, I can count a dozen of them in the last year. Men of God who threw away everything in one weekend. And you, you look at that and you marvel and you say, why do they do that? Are they so dumb? No, it has nothing to do with that one night. They were on that path for 10 years. And that's just where it ends. That's where it ends. Adultery doesn't start with the act. Adultery starts 10 years prior. And all along the way, God is lovingly saying, watch out, warning, the bridge is out, man, that leads to death. Get off that train, get off that train. Oh, God, come on now, this is, this, this is great, man, There's, this road looks good, this is safe, I'm okay, I can see at least 100 yards. <laughs> God sees the whole thing. And he warns us. If you ignore the warning signs that God has given, then you will end up where you never intended to be. If you leverage the principle of the path, you will remove regret from your life. If you will heed Solomon's wisdom, you will anticipate what's down the road and change course when there are still options, when there is still time. Because once you go down a particular path too far, the options are few and the choices are slim. And sometimes a path will take you to the point of no return. Too often couples come to me for marriage advice, but the divorce papers have already been written. Folks, it's too late. It's too late. You should have come to me five years ago. It's too late. Now we're dealing with different circumstances. 
all along the way. They ignored the warning signs. You don't have problems you need to fix. You have a direction you need to change. Mm. I would say don't try and fix those problems. Get off that path. <coughs> How do you do that? Many of us are on a path of death currently, and you know it. And that's why as I talk about this, you feel that inside your soul. You feel that churning, that, that, oh, that fear. It's, you might call it conviction. But that is the Holy Spirit Amen. churning in your soul, saying, heed this wisdom, heed this wisdom. And you're on a path in your finances that leads to poverty, bankruptcy, sorrow, loneliness. And God is saying, get off that path now. Now. Do it now. Some of you are on a relationship path that leads to loneliness, divorce, separation, loss. So, where is God in all of this? How does he help us? Romans. You turn to Romans. New Testament. So go right. Romans chapter 2 is wonderful, wonderful concept. Romans chapter 2 says, You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these same things. And we know, say we know, that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you, do, you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you will avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Isn't that a great statement? How wonderfully kind and patient God is with you? You know what? If you're on a path of death and it hasn't consumed you yet, that is God's grace, His kindness, His mercy. He has withheld what is ahead. Amen. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? I think I have a different version here. I like it. It says it's intended to lead you to repentance. Do you know that word repentance in Greek and Hebrew, in the original text, its, its exact interpretation or definition is to go the other way. Amen. To turn around. Repentance means to go the opposite direction. You see, it takes a person's guts to say, I see, I, I understand this now. I, I, I didn't know it, but I know it now. I know it clearly. I'm on a bad path. God, forgive me. 
God help me. God turn me around. Help me. And godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's that grief that just ah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to end up there. Amen. I don't, God. I don't want to end up there. I want to go. I want to go in a different direction. And then He guides you to a better path. So here is another spiritual principle I'm going to leave you with, and then I'm done. Listen to this. I laid out for you the principle of the path. Here's another one that goes right alongside it. And it's this. That spiritual health and vitality develops, grows within the context of community. That's where it grows. So think of yourself like a plant. If you're all alone, by yourself, not planted, you don't grow and you'll eventually shrivel up and die. Okay? See that? So spiritual health and vitality happens in the context of community. And when I say community, I'm not talking about what we're doing now. This is a community of, of people who are exploring faith. But I'm talking about the community of 10 to 15 people who have agreed to come together for a set, set period of time to explore faith together, to walk it out together, to develop a relationship. You see, that's where accountability comes in. That's where encouragement comes in. That's where support comes. That's where care happens. When you come together in a smaller community, then you are able to grow. Without that, you cannot. Now, it's not impossible. There's an exception to that. What if you're on a desert island like Tom Hanks? You know, I mean, they say you will eventually go crazy, but I would think that there's a possibility that God can help you there, okay, and be with you. But when God created Adam, he said, this isn't enough. It's better for Adam to have community. So he created Eve. God Adam had God. Could it be me and God and no more? No. God said, no, that isn't going to work. You need another person. And so we are not just saying community groups are what we do in our church and is best for you. We're saying, this is a spiritual principle here. That if you ignore it, going on a path that's going to lead you to some stuff you don't want, you don't want to be. So, heed this warning. Get into a community group so your faith can grow, so you can be nurtured and be built up and have the hope and the joy. How do you know the warning signs? See, God laid out a path for financial peace and prosperity. We talked about this whole month. He laid out a whole path. Okay, God says this. Here's a path, and at the end of that path is financial peace, prosperity, having more money than you need. Follow these things, you'll be on that path. That's what he says. Now, how do you know what that path looks like? It's right in here. Well, how do you know that? By getting into community and studying it, finding out. You see? Some people are perishing for ignorance. They don't know. So they run up tons of debt. They have 50 credit cards, you know, and that leads to poverty. 
But that isn't what God wants for you. He doesn't want you on that path. Here's a relationship path. And God says, okay, this is, this is how you end at love, respect, cherishing one another, enjoying that incredible unity and connection of relationship, pleasure. Here's the path. He lays it out right here. How are you going to know if you're on that path? You don't know. You see? And there are all these paths that God has laid out for us. Here's one that is the most critical. It's the path of salvation. And interestingly enough, Jesus said it's the one that is least traveled. It's a narrow path. It's small. Few go there. But it's the most important one. How do you find that? Well, you can't find it on your own. But it's better in community. You know? You're in community, and then you have an opportunity to say, Hey, man, I'm, I'm headed for bankruptcy. I need help. That's where the help is. That's where the community of brothers and sisters are there to lead you and help you. I find perhaps the number one hindrance to any person getting off of any particular bad path is pride. Pride keeps them on those paths longer than they want to be. You know, Proverbs 27, 17 wonderful scripture. It says simply this, as iron sharpens iron, think about this, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. True friend. True friend will really help you. Really help you. Really be a blessing to you. Amen. 